start again. Okay, so uh, we were sitting Monday morning, and we were we were discussing the what well, we just read the the short part you read on Monday, and one of the verses is Hamushim Alu, right? So Hamushim is is obviously means armed. We have with Yehoshua when they're going into the land, the word is used there, and it means armed. But we see Rashi brings what is Hamushim means one fifth means four fifth stayed behind and were, kill, were killed or died during the, uh, the, the darkness and I have no idea how they buried 8 million people and neither does even Ezra who says frankly it's ridiculous I mean it's interesting how his comment is but there, there's something to it that obviously people didn't want to leave one of the things we, we thought about was that yeah Is that you? No. Oh, maybe. No. It means, you know, like uh, somebody's kidnapped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that. I, I got an alert earlier on. <coughs> An amber alert. Some kid got kidnapped or something. Yeah. But, you know, even when they, uh, when they were at the, um, after the, after they crossed the Yamsa, they still wanted to go back. Exactly. You know? So, so what, what we were looking at was, it, you know, one of the questions that came up was, what was the whole idea of the three-day journey? And it's not a three-day journey in time. It was derech sheloshet yamim. The way they, 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 uh, they marked space was, that's how they marked space. It was a journey of three days, meaning it, it was the distance it took to travel in three days. So he wasn't asking him for a three-day vacation. He was asking him to go to a place that is a distance of three days, which was Har Sinai. So that's the idea. Now, the, one of the questions is why, why didn't he just tell him outright we're going to Canaan? And it, it seems that he couldn't tell Paro they were going to Canaan and he couldn't tell B'nai Israel they were going to Canaan. Why? It was beyond comprehension that anyone could take two million people. I mean, I, I said to someone, I said, you know, when you go out on a, on a trip, uh, on a four-hour drive, your wife has uh, all the food and the snacks just in case, you know, in the, in the car. I said, imagine if you went camping for three days. You know, a Jewish mother's going to bring the, the kitchen. House. <laughs> so how are you taking two million people? How are you going to feed them? How are you going to give them something to drink? How are you going to do everything for them? It was beyond. And then they're going to go into Canaan and fight all the kings of Canaan? They couldn't imagine this. So the question, so what is Paro so worried about? Why doesn't he just let them go? So if you look at his original fear, what was the original fear the Mitzrim had that they turned the, the uh, B'nai Israel into slaves? They thought there would be the fifth column. Now if you look in Egypt, I don't know how many, I think there was what something like 37... Why not the third column? Uh, Why not even the fifth column? 37 dynasties. Now if you have 2 million people, 600,000 of them who were... And you take them out of slavery... Now what's going to happen? They're going to come back and we're not slaves anymore. Everything changes. And when everything changes and you've had all of the, the plagues, what could those people do? They dominate the place. Take over the government. So one of the things that Paro had to be afraid of was them going and then coming back. The reason they keep saying, let's go back to Egypt, is because if we go back to Egypt, we're in charge. They had no idea. And the, and the interesting thing is they had to be forced out. 
They wouldn't have left their property. They wouldn't have left the things they had. The idea of borrowing was because it convinced the Egyptians they were coming back, and it convinced them they were coming back. Because if they didn't think they were coming back, they would never have left in the first place. Let me ask you a question. I, you know, yeah. Maybe you can clarify it because I've read different things on it. Why, why did God have them use the word borrow? You know, why didn't he just say, um, give us? No, but, but I'm saying the reason is here. It's psychological both ways. The Egyptians, because I'm borrowing, you think I'm coming back to return it to you. And because I'm borrowing, I think I'm coming back to return it to you. The Jewish people couldn't think they were leaving permanently. They would never have left. To get them to leave, they yeah, had to be thrown 80%, out. 80% were passing. But, I, but that's, that's so difficult to understand. How do you bury 8 million people in three days? Well, well six know, days. a lot of this stuff was miraculous. Yeah, but so this, we're, not, not, we're not told it was miraculous. We're told they died in the dark because they didn't want the Egyptians to see. I mean, not only that, I mean, after all the plagues were done, there was nothing left. The crops had been eaten by locusts. Everything had been devastated. It created a whole new paradigm. I mean, whole new opportunities. And I'm sure many, many, many Jews are saying, hey, you know, the real estate can start from scratch and make a lot of money. But they already had real estate that they were leaving behind without selling it. They owned land. They They weren't slaves. No, no, they weren't slaves in in the... they weren't slaves in the same vein that we have slavery that we think of from uh, the American Civil War slavery. They weren't that kind of slave. They were basically put into civil service. Yeah, but they were, uh, Pharaoh was killing babies killing. as well. You know, uh, this is worse than civil but the killing, But the killing was 80 years before, 85 years before. The killing was only when they had the vision of a, of a savior being born. And that's when they killed them. We don't see them killing them later on. Well, um, the, um, uh, there was uh, the one instance of the, uh, the Egyptian guy. Who, 80, uh, 80 years, but that was 60 years before. But how do we know that it stopped? Because the, the rabbis tell us there was only one instance of that. No other instance. Where he messed around with a Jewish person. Where a Jewish, per, where, where a Jewish no oh, Jewish man did anything. And the only case of an Egyptian molesting a Jewish woman was that case. Right, but I, my guess was, I thought they, they, they it says, like they made them work pretty hard, so, you know. So, but, but, the, but you see, really, they were willing to go back, want to go back. Well, so it doesn't say that they took away the ability from, that they still had to go pick up the bricks, you know, make the bricks, you know, destroy. The, the end, but the last nine months, there's no slavery. Right. Or the last year, there was no slavery. Once the plague started, Right. No one's bothering me. So that also is a paradigm shift. Right. But to me, the message is, okay, God did all these miracles, all this stuff happened. Guess what? It's not, miracles don't convince you, you know? I agree. And I think one of the reasons God says all the time that I remembered how you followed me into the desert, because it's not so easy to be willing to follow someone into the desert. I think that that's part of it. So, so we, were, we were discussing that whole idea of, of what, was the, what was going on. But then I asked the question, and the question I asked was this. If, in fact, there were certain people who wanted to stay, or who didn't leave, or who died in the darkness, whatever the number was, there's two guys who should have been among those and who should never have left. That's not going to be What's going on that they, of all people are allowed to go to the desert 
and continue to cause trouble? That's my question. Datan and Aviram. What's their... Why them, of all but people? The, but they're not the only ones. Why, but why, no, but they're the ones we see who instigate. They're the ones who cause trouble. If, you, if I ask you the two worst guys, mm. who were the two worst guys? Them. So why did they get to go? Why did they get killed in the, if 80% of them died? Shouldn't they have gotten killed? But remember, remember yeah, it, 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 you know the, the, the spices that you have in the... In, in the Ketoret. So you need the bad one? Exactly. Maybe. <clears throat> so I, I actually looked into this question. I saw something unbelievable. So he said, we, we read and we talk about this week's Perashah, Beshalach, we talk about Kiryat Yamsuf. Mm-hmm. Kiryat Yamsuf means we translate as splitting of the sea. The Gemara says that a person's income, his daily sustenance, his Parnasa, is as difficult to come by as splitting of, as Kiryat Yamsuf, the splitting of Yamsuf. The Gemara also, the, that, that is Pesachim 118a. Then in Sota 2a, it says again about Kiryat Yamsuf, a person finding a spouse, it's as difficult as Kiryat Yamsuf, the splitting of the sea. You know that too. Is that what's, what's that in Sota, you said? Sota 2a. The problem is, this word that the Gemara uses of Kiryah, Kiryat Yamsuf, is not found in the Torah. When we look in the Chumash, mm-hmm. and we talk about it, it says specifically, in the, in the Chumash, when we look at the verses, Shemot uh, chapter 14, verse 16, it says, as Hashem tells Moshe, stretch out your hand, and he says, and he, and he uses the, the term bekiah. You're going you're gonna to separate the waters. Well, you have it twice, the same term. So it, it should be bekiat yamsuf. That's how the Torah refers to it. So he tells Moshe, stretch out your hand, and that's bekiah. And then he tells, and the waters separate, it uses the same verb. So if we're using that word, why do we change the word from that word to Kriya? First question. Next. When we read in the Chumash, I didn't bring a Chumash down, but oh, I have, uh, oh, look here. So we read in the Chumash, in chapter, in chapter 14, we have, I think it's verse 22 and verse 29. It says, Moshe stretched out his hand over the sea. Hashem moved the sea with a strong east wind throughout the entire night. And he turned the sea to damp land and the water split. Next pasuk. Uvnei Israel, halchu. The Bnei Israel went, right, into the sea. Betochayam, bayabasha. They went into the sea onto the dry land. Vehamayim lahem choma. The waters formed a wall, right, to their right and to their left. We have seven Pesukim later. Ubnei Israel, halchu biyabasha betochaya, umayim lahem choma, mimina umismola. Exactly the same verse with two changes. The, and most people don't even. If I ask you to give me the change, someone's going to sit there for a while. In the first case, they went into the water onto the dry land. In the second case, it says they went onto the dry land into the water. That's the only difference. And the word Choma in the first case is spelled with a Vav, 
the way it should be spelled. In the second case, it's spelled without the Vav, lapping the Vav. The problem is, in between the first case and the second case, this is what the Pesukim say. So we said, B'nai Israel, okay, now, immediately after they went into the water the first time and then onto the dry land and the water for them on the right and the left, what did the Pesukim say? Mitzrayim pursued and came after them. Every one of Paro's horses, his chariots and his horsemen, into the midst of the sea. Hashem said to Moshe, stretch out your hand over the sea and the waters will go back over Mitzrayim, over its chariots and over its horsemen. Moshe stretches out his hand over the sea. Toward morning, the water went back to its power. The waters came back. They covered the chariots and the horsemen of the entire army of Pharaoh who were coming behind them in the sea. There remained not one of them. Now the story's over, right? Except for one. And, except for Paro, but then not one of them. And then what happens? And then we get, What do you mean? We already crossed. They're already dead. We've finished the story. Why do we go now and repeat this verse a second time? The same exact verse, and now it's not even part of the story anymore. What's going on? So years ago, I looked at this, and I, I explained it in one way. So when I explained it in, in that, that time, but even now when I looked at it again, even the way I explained it doesn't make such sense. The first, time, the first pasuk refers to Nachshon ben Aminadav and the tribe of Yehuda. Halchu betochayam, they went into the water, and then as they went, you know, it's up to my knee, it's up to my toe, whatever, Right? And then up to my nose, up to my nose, right? I'm being swallowed by a boa constrictor. Okay, I get into the water, and now the water splits. The water splits, so now they went, with the valve, because it's the, it's the walls of faith. These guys had incredible faith. They went into the water, the water split, and the walls were strong. The rest of the people, they went into the dry land, because the water already split into the sea and the water for them was a wall without the Vav because the wall was shaky because the Emunah was shaky that's how I explained it years ago the problem is that it doesn't explain why the second verse follows the fact that the Egyptians are all covered it's over already and it seems to be that the water split a second time So now, I start to look based on that, and I see from Rav Pinchas Friedman, he's a Bell's, uh, the Bell's teacher, and he says something unbelievable. So he says that the sea split a second time. He based it on something that his, his uncle wrote many years ago, and he said, who did the, split, the sea split for a second time? Two guys who stayed behind in Egypt and didn't want to leave. And since they didn't want to leave, what happened? So he quotes a pasuk, and if we open the, the humash, we're going to, we see something very interesting. We see that, that uh, it says, here, uh, okay, so we see, Trying to find the pasuk. So the split for just those two guys? So yeah. So basically, it says if you look in the beginning. Oh, I wrote it here. 
I wrote in the article that's going in today. I said here. So if you see, we see, okay, so B'nai Israel has already left Egypt when we're in this Perashah. In the beginning of the Perashah, chapter 14, verse 3, it says, B'nai Israel, it says, okay, so the, the Torah is quoting Paro. Paro is saying to B'nai Israel, he's talking to B'nai Israel. They are confined in the land. They are closed in by the Midbar. The question the Mepharshim ask is how could Paro be talking to B'nai Israel if B'nai Israel is sitting in the middle of the desert right by the sea? Who is he talking to? So Rashi says he's talking about them. He's not talking to them. Comes Targum Yonatan. Targum Yonatan says, no, he's talking to B'nai Israel. Which B'nai Israel is he talking to? The two guys. The two guys who stayed in his palace with him. Who were the two guys who stayed in the palace with him? Datan and Aviram. So he says, Datan and Aviram are being called B'nai Israel. They are being called B'nai Israel. So he says they're that... Not, they're not part of the Erev Rav. They're not Erev Rav. They're B'nai Israel. What do you mean? We have the, the children of Reuven. They're uh, descendants of Reuven. We have their whole lineage. So Datan and Aviram did not leave... Egypt, with the rest of B'nai Israel, they weren't forced out. The rest of B'nai Israel were forced out. It's They were, right? What happened to them? They were hanging out with Paro in the palace. Wow. So it says, says the Be'er Mayim Chaim. The real turn. He says it says Ubnei Israel halchu hayam. Who's B'nai Israel? He says a plurality of two. Who were the two? The Tan and Abiram. That the sea split a second time. The sea splits. The Egyptians all die after it closes. They hear about it. They decide, you know what? Let's go hang out with Moshe. They get to the sea. What happens? It splits for them. It splits for them. So that means they were the last to cross. They cross, yeah, yeah. way after everyone else. Yeah. Maybe the next after day. The Egyptians, yeah. <laughs> That's what it seems to be. Wow. So it says... This now illuminates for us the precise language implied by the two Pesukim. So see, this, this viewpoint is, is found in Be'er Mayim Chaim and also in Chidushe Maharal Diskin. So he says, now it seems that th- these two guys, what's the difference between them? So we say, Nachshon ben Aminadav went into the water. And to the, these guys came, the sea split for them. them. But the sea didn't want to split for them. And that's why Hamayim lahem choma, without the va, because the sea really wanted to, stay. to come crashing in. It really wanted to crash in on them. So, so these are the two that come after. Now to go further, he says, the picture becomes clear. The second pasuk is talking about the Tan and Aviram. And they're the ones who were in front of Paro, that Paro was talking. Paro was talking to B'nai Israel. He's telling them what happened. They're B'nai Israel. And again, they're referred to as B'nai Israel. Hmm. Going further, says, Rav Yochanan said, Hashem imposed a condition upon the sea. So remember the story. The sea didn't want to split. Why should I split for them? They're idolaters. They're idolaters. I don't want to split for them. So it says that Hashem imposed that on a specific time, the sea has to split and then it could return to its condition. The Orachayim, HaKadosh, he finds it perplexing. He says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu stipulated that the sea split for B'nai Israel. Why then is this stipulation alluded to when the sea returned to its original state mourning in, in, to cover up the Egyptians and not when the Pasuk describes the miracle? 
So he says that really what we have to realize is that B'nai Israel who crossed in the beginning, these are Ma'aminim B'nai Ma'aminim, these are Nachshon ben Aminadav who believes, who's willing to walk in no matter what I'm going, and all the people who are with him. They're going to get the Torah on Har Sinai. Because of the zikhut of getting the Torah on Har Sinai, they're considered believers, and therefore it's only natural for the war to be split for them. So who are the non-believers that the water is going to make a stipulation to split for them and only because it made the stipulation is it willing to split? They are Datan and Avira. So, go further. He says that, he says, so, we, he says that, that the, the whole idea of the, the, the stipulation we look into in, the, in, in Bereshit, but we don't need to do that. So when the sea splits a second time, it's splitting for Datan and Aviram. It didn't want to. And it was forced to split because it made a condition that it would split. Now the problem is this. This is the biggest problem. He says, why would the sea split for Datan and Aviram? What is their zechut that the sea is going to split for them? Because they've been Israel. But they didn't want to leave. If, if we say 80% died, and all, they should have never... They should have never left. They should have never got permission to leave. They should have never... What, what's their zechut? So Victor said something unbelievable four weeks ago. He wrote a whole thing on Datan and Aviram. He said they got their strength from interacting with Moshe. If a rasha interacts with a sadiq, the sadiq leaves a, leaves a zechut and a strength with the rasha. It goes through the whole thing. Yeah, you have to really read it. It's a little heavy, but he explains it that way. But that was a hard reason for me to see. Yeah. I was talking to him about it. Uh, you so know said, why it's really hard? Because at the end of the day, when Korach had his rebellion, they were on the wrong side. Yes, and they got... Uh, so he says, so, where, so I saw this explanation quoted by Rabbi, Rabbi Friedman in the name of uh, Rabbi Yeshua Lev Diskin. He says that the guards of the Bnei Israel who had been appointed by the taskmasters of Egypt. He says, what would happen to them if Ben Israel did not complete the number of bricks they were supposed to complete? Who got beat? The, 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 the Jewish guards. He says, who took the beating every time the quota wasn't there? Datan and Aviram. He said, they shed their blood, their sweat, and their tears for Ben Israel. Wow. And he like proves it. He proves it through the Pesukim and going back to Bamidbar. He proves exactly what they did. That's what I think the Germans did in the concentration camps. You know, they had the, the Jewish kapos. So he says, they took the beatings. He says, we learned from these Pesukim, and he goes through this whole thing of, of proving through the Pesukim that Datan and Aviram were Jewish guards who received beatings on behalf of Ben Israel. The Midrash says, and it quotes on them that they had a scent that was terrible. What was the scent that was terrible? The scent of their wounds. It was they, they would, their wounds would become infected from being hit so much, and they would, they would have the, the smell of an infected wound. It says that because of that, they were not punished during the three days of darkness, or six days, or whatever it was. And not only that, they were allowed to leave Egypt, and not only that, the sea split specifically for them, even though the sea didn't want to split. God made the sea split for them. And even though the walls were shaky because they didn't have faith, it stayed open for them and allowed them to cross. See, there's one thing I'm not sure I think. 
they were the ones that informed up to, to Pharaoh and Moshe, Moshe killed the Egyptians. That, so that was... So that's a biggie. So yeah, no, we don't know. We don't know that they informed, but we know specifically that they're called Rasha at that point. He says that Moshe comes to them and he sees after the first day when Moshe kills the Egyptian, he comes the second day, and he sees the Jew hitting the Jew. He says, "Why are you wicked one? Why are you raising your hand?" The Mefashim say that if one is wicked, the other's wicked, meaning the two of them that are fighting are wicked. And who are they? Datan and Aviram. And then Moshe says, if they're talking about this in public, it means the matter is known. We don't know if they were the ones who informed or if simply the matter was known. The question then is also a similar question we could raise. Why, if Moshe is the adopted son of Parah, and there's no question that Moshe was a war hero at that point, Moshe was leading the troops. Moshe would go out on behalf of Paro. And the Midrashim even say that Moshe could have been the successor of Paro. Like Cecil B. DeMille in the movie, he took it from some sources. That Moshe could have been the successor and he could have been the next Pharaoh. So if that's him and that's his son and you're living in an environment of Egypt where life is not so valuable, where you're taking kids and throwing them in the... Why would Paro get so upset that, that Moshe killed some Egyptian who was doing something wrong, who slept with a guy's wife that he shouldn't have done, which was forbidden because they didn't want a mixing of the, of the races? Why would he want to kill him? Well, because he'd become a turncoat. Ah. No, my guess would be is that he's the one that the astrologers said is going to take over his throne because... Right. He was rescued from the water. So instead of uh, him being sort of nullified, he's actually not nullified. So he's an absolute existing threat. The, ra- the, the rabbis say that they thought, that Paro thought at that moment that Moshe is going to start a revolution. He already has the army behind him because the army swore allegiance to Moshe, not to Paro, because he was their leader, and he was leading them to victory, and he was afraid that they would take over. So this idea of the king always being afraid of losing, when you think of how many dynasties there were in Egypt, shows itself again and again. But these two are called Rasha, they're called the wicked. And even though they're called wicked, because they're willing to put their blood, sweat, and tears on behalf of other people, they're saved. And a miracle happens for them. No, so we have Erevaram in Israel who are fighting in the IDF. That's really part of their kapara. Just like, this is part of their kapara, these guys. Which one? Sorry. These two guys. Datan and Abiram. Yeah, the, their wounds really became kapara for them. I think that was what earned them the merit. No, I think the kapara for them is their death. Oh. No? I think that that's the only way they get kaparaz in the death, in the end, because then they're still rebelling against Moshe and they want to take over. But there is some zechut from those wounds. There's, that's the zechut that allowed them to, open. To, to go across the sea and, uh, and stay alive all that time. What if they were reincarnations of somebody, you know, does not be wrong? You know? I, I, so I looked to see if there was. I asked Victor today, he didn't know offhand. And it's, one of my, uh, it's on my to-do list to see. Because I sort of remember once hearing that they were somebody. So I, I didn't see, I asked him if he knew off the top of his head, and I don't remember seeing, but I have a second book, not the Arizal, I have the book of one of the rabbis who came uh, to visit us here. 
He has a book of Gilgulim, like this thick, just Gilgulim. Wow. And I have to look in it, but it's not so, uh, it's not indexed. So he says, so this is the meaning really, where it says, where Ramban says, that Hashem says, Eheyeh, Asher Eheyeh. Says that a person, how a person behaves to other people, Hashem will behave to them. And the example that we're using we learned that from Ayah, Asher, That's where we learned that from. Yeah, yeah, but that's what Ramban brings. How you are to other, to other people, Hashem is to you. So it says, because Tatan and Aviram were willing to put their backs to, to pain for the, for the people, Hashem was willing to do for them. It says, that's why we have the word here, instead of the Bikiyah, the separation of the water, we have the word Kiriyah. When you think of Kiriya, what do you think of? The word Kriya, what do you think of? What's the first thing that comes? Kriya. Split. No, think again. If I tell someone Kriya, what is it they think of? Kriya. No, Kriya. Kriya. Oh, Kriya is when someone tears in mourning. Right. It's a, it's a tearing. Mm. It's, it's a, harsh, a harsh thing. He says, so why do the rabbis call it Kriya? It's harsh. It is Kriyat. Yeah, that's how this is. Kriyat. So he says, this Kriyat is the same. He says, why don't we call it Bikiyat? Why do we call it Kriyat? He says, because just like it's so difficult to split the, the sea, it's difficult to earn a living, and it's difficult to find a wife. He says, we have to see this Kriyat is relating to what? It's relating to the fact that the sea split a second time against its will for... Datan and Aviram, only because they did. Goes, he says, Shmuel and Avi says to Shaul HaMelech, he says, Hashem tore away the kingdom, this word Kriya. We see also when uh, Reuven sees that Yosef is taken, he tears his clothing. We see again and again. So the rabbi said to us that we have to understand that this second transformation of the sea to dry land for the sake of Datan and Aviram was Kriyat Yamsuf. This is called Kriyat Yamsuf the tearing or the separating of the sea. The second occasion, the sea was forced to split for Datan and Aviram against its will. Just like a person who tears his clothes, they don't want to tear their clothes, Kriya. They're turning against their will. He says, and it was imposed upon the sea because the sea had already returned to its way Mm -hmm. with the Egyptians. So it's forced to do. So he says, why did Hashem use this term? It says, this term is used to teach us an unbelievable lesson. Really, the unbelievable lesson is this. It says that if we live in this world and we say, I'm not Moshe, so what could I do? I'm not, I don't have the faith of, of, uh, of, uh, of the tribe of Yehuda, of Nachshon ben Aminadab, to walk in the water. I don't have such high level of bitachon or emunah, all these things. I can't sit down and learn a whole mesechet of Gemara. It's too hard for me. If I get through a page in a year, I did something. So, so the person is going to say, what is good for me? What could I do? It says, but what does it say about a person? It says that a person, a person should, should live in the ohel until he's dead. Meaning he has to work so hard that it's killing him. Doing what? Studying. A person has to break his teeth to study. The rabbis use these crazy terms. What do you mean? So it seems. Where is that from? Where is that from? We have. Oh, there's a pasuk. It says. It says. It says in uh, when you have a met in the ohel. Uh, 
Met in the Ohel. It's in. It's in. Vayikra. Yeah, yeah, what, but right, but but the, the the rabbis the rabbis explain what does it mean in al pidirush. They say what is it? it means a person has to the ohel is a place of study. A person has to study until it kills him. They use that so term. The interesting thing is the, the problem with that is, uh, if, according to Samurai, you're you're supposed to be doing work because that's what God said. That was the original plan. You right. To, study. to work then, the to work the land and to watch it. That's mitzvot aser and mitzvot lot aser. Well, that's to study the Torah. He says that. Uh, no, to work. Ah, here it is. The Gemara Berachot says, for the he says that that okay here, it's precisely for this reason that Hakadosh Baruch Hu prepared the remedy in advance of the ailment by having the sea split specifically for Datan and Aviram, for in truth they were wicked men except for the fact that they had merit of receiving beatings on behalf of Israel in their capacity as guards. Thus, a path was paved for all B'nai Israel throughout the generations. Whenever they will require sustenance or a proper mate, both of those things are compared to be as difficult as Kriyat Yamsuf. Ah, so that was the precedent. They will be deemed worthy in the merit of the physical toiling in the study of the Torah and fulfillment of mitzvot. For these demands are enormous and they take a tremendous physical toll as the Gemara in Berachot 63b. Wow. From where do we know that the words of Torah are not retained except by one who kills himself for the sake of the Torah? For it says in the Pasuk, this is the Torah of a man who dies in a tent. Wow. Says, so, so even though they were Rashaim, Even though they didn't deserve because they, they put the effort... So the bottom line seems to be, if we're not Nachshon, if we're not Moshe, if we're not capable, what is the bottom line? You get an A for effort. If a person kills himself and he tries to work on behalf of the Kahal, he tries to do things for other people, he tries to do the mitzvot, he tries to learn, even though it doesn't all go inside, then what does Hashem reward him with? An A for effort. But what does he get? The same reward as Datan and Aviram. What's their reward? The sea split. But what's the re- equal to the sea splitting? Earning a living and finding a mate or raising a family. So the interesting thing is that he's saying that if a person puts his effort into it, his reward is the same. And that's, so everything you have to have a path that was set. So you even think that these worst, worst guys, their actions set this path because the sea split a second time for them. Why would it split? Because they were willing to give their blood, sweat, and tears. They were willing to lay down and get hit for their brothers. They were willing to do what they had to do. So he goes further and he says that when a person gives his money, when a person gives tzedakah, until it hurts, he says, then that's the same kind of a person. And that person has the ability to change nature. Because if a person goes against his own nature, meaning, I go against my nature. What's my nature? My nature is to be selfish. My nature is all for me. But if instead of it being for me, or instead of my nature being to sit and relax and to watch TV, I pick up the book and I struggle to learn, even though I don't understand, I push and I push and I push and I look for someone and I try. He says, if that person's going against his nature, then Hashem's willing to make nature go go against itself in order to reward that person. Wow. I thought it was amazing. Right. I thought it was just something I... Quite independent of your being a Rasha. 
they're, they're called Rasha. And the fact is that, that they're not just regular guys. They're called Rasha. Yeah. So if a Rasha is able to imagine a regular guy. Exactly. It just gives tremendous, tremendous strength. So when we were sitting there, we were, a lot of people were sitting there. I said to everybody, and, and they just walked away with like a whoa. You know, I have to re examine what my life is and what I'm doing with my, uh, with my life. And when I left that afternoon, everybody called me. They were, wow, it's unbelievable. Really unbelievable. Also, you know, I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember what came first. Uh, I think it was... Uh, um, it was the chicken. Uh, uh, when, when Moshe hit the rock, was that before Korach's rebellion? 